Well, good morning. I'm Danny Martin. I'm one of the leaders here at City on a Hill, and it's great to see everybody here with us in person on this New Year's Eve day, 2023, and great to be seen by all of you who are watching us online or listening later. If you're able, we hope that you will join us here at the Steeple Center in Rosemount. We've got plenty of ways for you to connect, serve, grow spiritually. Come and join us in person. So believe it or not, this will be a revelation to some of us, there was once a world without Google Maps. If you wanted to get somewhere new, you actually had to pay attention to the names of the roads while you were driving. If you were gonna go to somebody's house for dinner, you had to call before you left on a landline to get directions that you had to write down. And if you messed, it, messed up at all on the drive over, nobody was recalculating for you. You had to make a U-turn, go all the way back to the right step in the process. If that didn't help, you had to go to some gas station and ask a stranger for directions. That was always a crapshoot. They're referring to unhelpful landmarks. Turn at the brown wooden fence. You can't miss it. An eavesdropper jumps in with a shortcut. Half an hour later, you just wanted dinner. It's nice when you're going somewhere to know how to get there. For much of history, the Christian church used something called the liturgical calendar. If you're like me and you met Jesus in an evangelical church, you have no idea what this is. The word liturgy scares you. It sounds like one of those medicines on TV with more side effects than benefits. The liturgical calendar was a way of marking time through religious festivals and holidays. Even the priests wore different colors to signify what time of year it was. In centuries past, the liturgical calendar bound Western society together, gave all of life a sense of rhythm, built around the life of Jesus and the work of the church. Christmas, for example, wasn't just one day where kids got presents under a tree until next year. It was a whole season of Christmas tide. That's why we have Advent calendars and Christmas Eve, not only Christmas Day. It's why we have that song, the 12 days of Christmas, where your so-called true love gives you all those birds you don't want. The 12 days of Christmas in that song are the 12 days after Christmas that lead into Epiphany. The purpose of Epiphany was to remember when the Magi came to visit baby Jesus and present him with gifts. Christmas is at the end of our normal calendar year, but it's quite close to the beginning of the liturgical calendar because it marks the beginning of Jesus' life on earth. It's step one of the journey. And thankfully, we don't have to ask strangers at gas stations for directions. It's been said that Jesus is the reason for the season, but he's more than the reason for this Christmas season that we'll soon be concluding. If you wanna know what I mean, then join me by opening in your Bible or Bible app to the book of Hebrews, chapter two, starting in verse 14. 
while you're getting to Hebrews chapter 2, I will remind you that God wants all of us to know him more. And one of the ways that he invites us to do this is by regularly, regularly experiencing privately and in community his word, the Bible. Whether we are reading it, whether we're listening to it, like Mitch said in the announcements, whether we're memorizing it or hearing it taught, the creator of the universe invites all of us into closer relationship with himself through it. Why not make a plan in 2024 to make a few minutes of Bible time a part of your everyday? And if it already is, prayerfully seek God, the Spirit's leading, and how you can better position yourself to hear from him every day. I can guarantee you it will be, it will be time well spent. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I'm reading from the NIV. Since the children, that's all of us, have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus in flesh and blood, in real time, in real places. Thank you that Jesus shared in our humanity so that he could do for us what we could never do for ourselves and that your Holy Spirit activates in us what Jesus did for us. Help us to live aligned with this deep truth and to seek your spirit every day. We ask this in Jesus' holy name, amen. Jesus is the reason for the season. That's true. It's the start of the story. It's the beginning of the Google Maps journey. Jesus' miraculous birth in real time from a real young woman named Mary is inseparable from his death and resurrection. So if there's something quite close to the starting point of our journey today, it's that Jesus really came. Many voices in our culture tell us that the life of Jesus is like the life of Luke Skywalker a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. These voices say, don't bother asking about the where or the when of Jesus' life. That's like asking which exit to take for Neverland. Jesus is a good role model. Christmas lights are fun, but don't take it so seriously. But Jesus didn't live in made-up places once upon a time. Jesus was born and grew up in real places you and I can go. Jesus talked with real people you and I can look up. The eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life aren't fables made up long after the fact. Jesus is not a fictional character like Luke Skywalker or Cinderella or Superman. He's a real figure of history. You could devote the rest of your life to studying this topic at the highest level. And after you spent way too much money at college doing this, you would conclude along with the overwhelming majority of both religious and non-religious Bible scholars, that Jesus Christ is a real figure of history. So save yourself $100,000 in student loan debt. You can believe that Jesus was a real person in real places, in real time. All of us should believe it. 
credible scholars don't disagree about whether or not Jesus is real. They don't even disagree that he was executed by the Romans and buried in a tomb that was later found empty, that many people honestly believe that Jesus, that they saw Jesus alive on multiple occasions after he died, or that Jesus' students were so committed to what they, what they had witnessed that all of them preferred to die rather than to say that they had not seen him alive, spoken with him, eaten with him, and touched him after his execution. Christian and non-Christian scholars are generally in consensus about everything that I just said. The disagreements they have concern what best explains those things. If you have never thought long and hard about the reality of Jesus, who he is, what he said, what he did, you need to. And if you want to learn more about it, well, you've got to stay on this journey with us. Jesus really came is only step one. Step two is that Jesus became like us. People have always been curious about Jesus' childhood. Even in ancient times, people speculated. One ancient document written centuries after Jesus lived said that Jesus was able to talk like an adult when he was a baby, which is kind of weird. The Bible does not say that. That's bad fan fiction. Jesus grew up in a small town in Israel called Nazareth about 2,000 years ago. He practiced carpentry and had no more or less education or religious training than anyone else in his social class. Jesus was descended from King David. Jesus grew in wisdom while also demonstrating wisdom beyond, his, beyond the years of a normal child. And Jesus' true identity of being conceived by the Holy Spirit was kept quiet by a small circle of people. Look back at Hebrews 2.14. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Jesus shared in our humanity. The highfalutin word for this is incarnation. But more important than what the word is, is what it means. Jesus did not begin existing when he was conceived like all of us did. No. John the Apostle tells us in John 1.1 that in the beginning, that is the beginning of everything, was the Word. The Word means Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. God the Son. Jews called him Yeshua. Greeks called him Jesus. We call him Jesus. John calls him the Word. Theologians call him the second person of the Trinity. Everyone will one day call him Lord. He's always existed. He existed before the first human beings existed. It's one of the most fundamental, most well-attested teachings in all of Scripture. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, starting in 5. Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. A closer translation of the Greek would be that Jesus didn't grasp on to equality with God. It means Jesus was willing to let go of some of his rights and privileges during his human, human life, not that he ceased to be God. Verse 7, Rather, 
He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. A clearer way to think of this idea of Jesus sharing in our humanity is that he participated in it. If you ask someone to participate, you're asking them to get involved. When Jesus began sharing in our humanity, he moved from God's realm, where he had eternally existed, into our realm. And he began participating with us on our terms. So Paul can write in Romans 8, and I like the New Living Translation here, starting in 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Jesus became like us so he could apply his holiness to us. That's why Jesus didn't come in the form of an elephant. Or why he didn't just come as the second person of the Trinity. Or why he didn't come in his glory, like how John describes him in the book of Revelation. Jesus did not summon legions of angels to kill his enemies the night he was arrested. He didn't ride into Jerusalem on a war horse, but on a donkey. Jesus came in weakness. Jesus came as a baby on the first Christmas. Step three of the journey, Jesus came on purpose. At about the age of 30, Jesus began traveling throughout Israel to teach. And he taught the Jewish holy writings with impressive authority given his pretty humble upbringing. And he soon inspired students to travel with him. The eyewitnesses to these events tell us that as Jesus traveled, he healed people, even people who were born with conditions like blindness. The witnesses record that on several occasions, Jesus even manipulated the laws of nature by controlling the weather, spontaneously changing matter, and reviving a person who had been dead for days. When they saw these things, Jesus' students concluded that he was God's chosen one, the Mashiach, we say Messiah, and that he would lead an uprising to overthrow the Roman Empire that had conquered Israel as the Messiah Jesus would surely liberate Israel from Rome and restore the Jewish people's independent kingdom. Israel's religious leaders also knew of the Messiah promised in their holy writings and the reports of Jesus' healings and growing following soon elevated him from annoying to dangerous. They viewed Jesus as a threat to their authority and to their tense peace with Rome. They said, in John 11, here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. But Jesus never said that he came to overthrow Rome. So as that question of what Jesus was really all about moved more and more to the fronts of everybody's minds at the time, Jesus then started telling his closest students 
that his mission was to bring forth the kingdom of God. Sounds good, they were tracking. And he would bring it about by dying. Yes, hi, Jesus, not a political science major here. Um, how are you going to start a kingdom if the king is dead? Jesus' students had left their jobs and families to travel around Israel with him. They'd witnessed Jesus do amazing things that no normal person could ever do. They themselves had done amazing things that Jesus empowered them to do. So when he started saying that his goal was to die, that wasn't what anybody signed up for. And out of Jesus' students, the one who always seemed to open his mouth first was Simon Peter. So... Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. The word Satan or Satan means accuser or tempter. Jesus calls Simon Peter this because he's unknowingly suggesting that Jesus not complete his real mission. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus said that he was indeed a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. He would establish this kingdom not through a military uprising and drafting a constitution, but through his own purposeful death. Jesus' death was not a miscalculation. It was not an overstep. It was not a mistake. Jesus was not surprised when he was betrayed by his friend Judas. The crucifixion didn't happen to Jesus like a car accident might happen to us. Jesus positioned himself on purpose to be betrayed and arrested at just the right time. And as that moment approached, he said in John 12, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Even though this troubled Jesus in that humanity he'd taken on, he went forward because it was his mission. Jesus' death is a surely one of history's best examples of courage, but it wasn't about courage. It was about establishing a kingdom. If you're curious about where this kingdom is, you don't have to pull up Google Maps. You only have to look around yourself at the people in the seats. The word church does not mean the word church does not mean a religious building that nobody wants to be in for longer than an hour. It means assembly of people, regardless of where they are assembled. The people in Jesus' time were obsessed with a kingdom that had geographic borders. But no real or imagined barriers mark off Jesus' kingdom. It's not contained in any single place. It has no official language. It belongs to no tax bracket, nation, culture, ethnicity, sexuality. No people owns a monopoly on it because Jesus' kingdom is for anyone who will accept its king. Jesus said that he would be lifted up on a cross during his crucifixion. He would, in so doing, draw all people to himself. This was a very different kingdom than what anyone at the time imagined. 
So as wise and useful and transformative as Jesus' teachings are, nobody gains access to his kingdom by memorizing and following his teachings like we might memorize and follow every law. It's not even possible to do this. If you read through the Bible, you'll find that God is constantly giving people do-overs, Old and New Testament. The heroes of the Bible mess up all the time. Except Jesus. This is what makes Jesus and his death so unique, and it's step four on the journey. Jesus came to die on purpose for us. His death is unique because he's the only person who could die on purpose for all of us. It wasn't a self-righteous death to make a point or just a noble example of courage. It's actually how we can gain citizenship into Jesus' kingdom. And the citizenship test for his kingdom is holiness. Some might hear that and think, great, I'm generally a pretty good person. The good I do outweighs the bad, so that's taken care of. Other people might hear that and think, I've done so many bad things in my life. I am so unholy. Jesus would never let me into his kingdom. Both of these views are wrong because both of them assume that holiness is about our behavior. Holiness does not start with being a good person because holiness is not a category of what we do. It's fundamentally a category of what we are. Jesus became like us on purpose to die for us on purpose so that he could give his holiness to us and so that we could live with God. It's not something we can earn, only something that we can receive. It's God's free gift to everyone who will believe that Jesus is who he says he was. The Messiah is more than the chosen Savior of Israel. He was God's secret weapon all along. The chosen Savior of all humanity, the whole world. That's why Jesus said in John 3, the Son of Man, that means Jesus, he's talking about himself, must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus offers us eternal citizenship in his kingdom an unhindered relationship with God and the promise of joy-filled eternal life. It's God's free gift to anyone who will turn from their own way and trust Jesus. But we all must decide to do this on our own. Young people, this is not a decision your parents can make for you. Married people, this is not a decision your spouse can make for you. Long-time people, it's not about your family upbringing. Mom was Catholic, dad was Lutheran. They decided nobody would be happy and raised us Presbyterian. I put in my time, believe you me, that makes me a Christian. My first pastor used to say, 
that standing around in church doesn't make someone a Christian any more than standing around in McDonald's makes them a Big Mac. We must all decide for ourselves to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and to trust him ourselves. God has so much more for us than what our personal histories would promise. We don't have to keep running on the hamster wheel in our lives, making the same mistakes over and over with the same people getting the same results. I don't know about you, I was ready for different results in my life. We can get off the hamster wheel. We can be forgiven of the things that other people tell us are unforgivable. Holiness, being right with God, it's not about our successes or failures. It's about Jesus' victory for us. It's not something we earn. It's something we embrace. It's something we can embrace because of the fifth and last destination on the journey. Jesus became like us at Christmas to die on purpose for us at Easter. Every year, it seems like all the Christmas stuff hits the store shelves earlier and earlier. All I want for Christmas is to stop hearing Mariah Carey in October. We anticipate Christmas time, fond memories, feelings of nostalgia, time with family and friends. Yet when Christmas is done, it's done. We flip a switch in our brains, all the decorations are boxed away, and extend, extended family returns far, far away from us where they belong until we do it all again next year. The day comes, the day goes, nothing is new under the sun. For those of us who have been at this Christianity thing for a while, we may get so wrapped up in the nostalgia and fun of Christmas that we are tempted to forget that Christmas is not the end of remembering Jesus' birth. Rather, Christmas marks the beginning of our journey toward Easter. So if that's you, I want to encourage you and challenge you as we return next week to our teaching series on 1 Corinthians and we enter a new year in less than one day. Don't just slip back into business as usual. And don't make overzealous resolutions either. I guarantee you Planet Fitness is going to be a nightmare this week with all the people who made resolutions. By February, the resolutions people will be gone. They always are. But the action plan people, they will still be there. And if they stick to the plan, in short order, it'll be their healthy habit. When we make big promises to ourselves that we can't deliver on, we're often weighed down by shame. And that's not what God wants for us in 2024. Don't make grand resolutions as we enter the season of remembering Christmas and anticipating Easter. Instead, make reasonable action plans. If you're not in one of our city groups here at City on a Hill, why not join one? If you are and you haven't been going, why not start attending again? If you need to, we can even help you find a new group to work with. If you aren't serving, why not serve? There are a lot of ways in a small church to serve meaningfully in your areas of passion and gifting. 
If you haven't had regular time with God, why not commit to reading just one chapter of the Bible every day? If you haven't been using those blessed practices with the people you already see all the time, why not begin with prayer? Simply pray for God to give you opportunities to bless the people you already know. The reason for this season that we're in right now, it's another season actually. It's a whole life rhythm. It's a different kind of living altogether. Worship team, you guys can make your way up. The Christmas story with the shepherds, the angels, the manger, it tells us what happened at the start of Jesus' life. Later biblical texts tell us why the Christmas story happened after the fact. So we read, or we return to our original text in Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. By coming to us at Christmas to die for us at Easter, Jesus defanged the devil of his ability to accuse us before God because the thing that he uses to accuse us, our own sins, have been covered over by Jesus. And that started right here at Christmas time. The trajectory that first Christmas set Jesus off on is why none of us have to just keep going through the motions. It's why we don't have to keep running on that hamster wheel. It's why we can be forgiven and find new life. It's why we can receive God's Christmas gifts. Lives of purpose, lives of meaning, goodness, service, and community with God and his people, paid in full at Jesus' expense. The reason for this season is another season. The reason for this season is every season of our lives. Let's pray. Father, as we enter this new year, we pray that we will be Christmas people all year round, always remembering why Jesus came and living our whole lives in light of what he's done for us. Help us to find places to grow in community, in our faith, and in our service to you and others. Help us be salt and light. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We ask that you do this in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let us be attentive to his leading. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.